There we go. So the, the first vision that Daniel interpreted, what was that about? The statue, yeah. And what period of history did that involve? For us, history and future, right? So that statue went all the way from the head of gold, Nebuchadnezzar, to the feet of clay, to what? The rock, hewn not with human hands, striking it on the feet and crushing it. So it was, a, it was an overview of Babylon all the way through what we call the end times, right? The return of Christ. And then uh, the next vision that he interpreted was uh, Nebuchadnezzar's, and that was a more immediate uh, vision, and it was concerning Nebuchadnezzar and his arrogance and how God humbled him. The next one was Belshazzar, and that was a very brief experience, uh, gave the interpretation, and it was fulfilled that very night. Uh, now this one here, Daniel chapter 7, we're going to see Daniel's vision, and this one's going to be four beasts, and it's going to cover basically the same thing as a statue, but from a different perspective. And that's why I said four kingdoms from a different perspective. But first of all, I want to ask a question. Why should we study prophecy? Or should we study prophecy? I think there's two different, two different ways we can go with prophecy. Just like with Satan, we can go two different ways. We can either get focused on him and get overly excited and watching for him around every tree and every corner and every rock and blame everything on him, or we can just forget about him. And I think we can do the same thing with prophecy. Uh, there are some ministries, and, and I guess that's okay for a ministry, but not for a church to be just prophecy, prophecy, prophecy all the time. Right. There needs to be a balance. And I believe here at Yellowstone we do have that balance. And pastor's going through Revelation soon again. He's going to get back into Revelation. And, and, uh, and he'll probably bring a lot more light to some of these things that Daniel is teaching us because the two are, are entwined. You, you can't really separate them. And... Uh, so, why should we study prophecy, though? What, what, good, what good can come of it? Well, it teaches us that, that God knows everything. Okay. Because, you know, to, to look forward to something and, and prophesize about it, and it comes true to the, you know, to the umph degree, mm -hmm. shows that God was telling, that, telling somebody, whether it's Daniel or Moses or anybody, that this is what's going to happen, and because it's God saying it, it's done deal. Right. And so far, the prophecies that we that Daniel has has explained, the head of gold, that one was pointed out to us. Okay, the prophecy concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled right there. Belshazzar was fulfilled. So one thing we can learn from prophecy is we can see God's prophetic word and see its fulfillment. How many prophecies were there in the Old Testament concerning Christ's return? Hundreds. Hundreds. I, I, I can't remember the number. It was 300 and some or something like that. And they've all been fulfilled. That is phenomenal. So it gives us confidence. 
Then there's the other kind of prophecy. That would be the one we call eschatology. You know what eschatology is? Pastor does. What's eschatology? Isn't it uh, prophecies related to the end times? To the end times. It's the study of the end times things. And uh, that would be the statue. The head, the chest, the, and legs and so on. That was not end times. That was things taken out through history. Things that we've seen fulfilled. In, well, we didn't see them fulfilled in our lifetime, but they have been fulfilled and they're already fulfilled. Then there's the end times, the eschatological, I guess, is that a word? Uh, aspect to that statue where Christ returns, strikes the, the feet, and it crumbles, and we see that. Those are the ones that are difficult to understand sometimes. Is that the new guy? No? <laughs> but anyway... Uh, I hate to leave my class, you know. So, and those are the those are the ones that can can give us difficulty because we see this rock hit the toes, and, and man, we can go everywhere with that, right? So there's where we have to be careful. We have to watch and be careful that we don't assume things that are not there or build things into it that we want to see. Uh, so that's why eschatology. Yeah. And the other thing about prophecy is how many prophecies are being done now? You know, by various people. Not, I mean, I oh, being fulfilled? Not, not fulfilled, just people making prophecies oh, okay. about this and that and oh, saying yeah. the Lord is going to come on this day and, and all that. So we need to keep prophecy in perspective. Right. Because... Does God give us uh, a look in the future in his Bible? Definitely. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't. I, I, I've read in the Bible, but I didn't see on this date this is going to happen, this date at this time. Okay, that's another point. So why study eschatology? Because Jesus said no one knows the day nor the hour. Jesus said he'll come like a thief in the night. In other words, why worry about it? Don't sweat it. Well, Jesus also gave us some advice about being watchful. Paul told us to be watchful. Watch for what? Uh, what is it that we as Christians are looking forward to? The coming of our Lord. Uh, in Titus, Paul called that the blessed hope. We're looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this is what we're looking forward to, right? And what, what is he referring to here? The return of Christ. Would that not be eschatology? Yes. That's a future event that we're all waiting for. And by not understanding what to look for, and what to be prepared for, we can get all kinds of crazy ideas. And I guess I got to tell you the story of the crazy idea by my fourth great-grandfather. Has anybody ever heard of the Reverend William Miller? I had never heard of him either. Uh, I, I'm sorry? You've heard of William Miller? Back in the 1840s, yeah. <laughs> How do you know about him? Uh, 
Are you a Seventh-day Adventist? <laughs> no, he got all excited about uh, uh, his scripture reading was telling him that Christ was coming right then. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it, of course, didn't. But, but he didn't come, yeah. He even set a date, didn't he? Yes. I don't think he set a hard date, but he set a year in which Christ would return. And I didn't even know about this guy, but I, I went on this uh, Ancestry.com and I got a, what is it, a one-month trial, and I found that this is my, on my grandmother's side. She was a miller, and four generations back is the Reverend William Miller. And uh, that's why I was Seventh-day Adventist is because I've got a lot of friends in Alaska who are Seventh-day Adventists. And when I mentioned the Reverend William Miller to them, they go, oh, yeah, because Ellen White, have you heard that name? She was the founder of the Seventh-day Adventists. She was a student of his. She grabbed his ideas, even though his prophecies failed and ran with it. So talking about you know, prophecies and taking the wrong turn and reading things, and his was the 2,300 days, and he interpreted them as years, and he went with that, and he calculated a date that Christ didn't come. He says, okay, I got the day wrong. So he came up next year, and he didn't come, and they call that the great disappointment. And the church split and went in many different directions. But he had a big following. He had following even overseas. But So as far as getting it wrong, I've got an ancestor that did. And I'm sure I've gotten things wrong, too. But uh, this one I'm, I'm going to be very careful with. I learned from my... Learn from my fathers, I guess. <laughs> so we're waiting for that blessed hope. And uh, how are we going to know when it comes? And uh, Paul, writing to the Thessalonians, in, in, in 1 Thessalonica, he said, But concerning, concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write you. You yourselves know perfectly well that the day of the Lord comes like a thief in the night. A lot of people just stop there and they go, well, Okay, let's not worry about it. But he continues, he says, for when they say, now notice the change in tenses here. I guess we'd say a change in pronouns here. He's going from you to they. He says, you yourselves know perfectly well, but when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Who are they? Satan and his men. Well, Okay, yeah, people who do not know Jesus. People who just, yeah, you Christians, you're a bunch of lunatics. And uh, when I die, I want to go to hell because that's where all my friends are going to be. You ever heard that one? There's not going to be any friends. There's not going to be any friends in hell. They're going to be pretty disappointed. But, so that's who they are. But you, brethren are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. Did you get that? You are not in darkness. This day will not overtake you like a thief. So this thief in the night thing doesn't apply to us. He's going to come as a thief in the night. But we are ready. Because why? Because we're studying the scriptures. We're searching the scriptures. We want to know the signs. We want to know what, what to look for, what to watch for. This day should not overtake you as a thief. You are sons of the light. We are sons of the light. And ladies, that doesn't exclude you. 
The Old Testament, or not the Old Testament, the Bible did not use uh, feminine and masculine pronouns. When they say, you are sons or children, a lot of translations, modern translations, have changed that to children, just so it's non-offensive. But please don't be offended by that. You are all sons or children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night nor darkness. Therefore, why? Look at this. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch. Let us watch and be sober. What do we watch for? We watch for the signs. Jesus gave us signs. And uh, <clears throat> have you read uh, the Olivet Discourse? I'm sure you have. I hope you've read it. I hope you'll read it again. There's a lot in there. Read it prayerfully and then read it again prayerfully. And there's a lot you won't understand, but that's okay because there's a lot you will understand. You should be more... How, who was it that said, I'm more, I'm more afraid of the things I do understand than the things I don't understand in the Bible. So pay attention to things you do understand. So the, the disciples came to Jesus. Jesus was talking about the temple being destroyed. And he, the disciples came and they said, when will these things be and what will be the signs of your coming and the sign of the end of the age? And he gives them this, what we call the Olivet Discourse. And he tells them all these things. And he says, but these are just the birth pains. Don't get too upset yet. Then he says, now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its, branches, when its branch has become tender and puts forth leaves, you'll know summer is near. So he says, just like, just like you do with summer. Watch, and you'll see. That's, have you ever heard the word harbinger? Mm-hmm. That's a harbinger. A harbinger is something that foreshadows a future event. Something that gives an anticipatory sign of what is to come. Robins and crocuses and other harbingers of springtime. I remember this as a little kid. We were sitting in the kitchen in a robin out in the yard, and my mom said, Spring's here. I said, how do you know that? She says, there's a robin. Robin is a crocus, or a, not a crocus, robin is a harbinger of springtime. Any Alaskans here? What is that? Fireweed. What time of the year is it? Midsummer. Midsummer. You, you all know what a fireweed is? That's a fireweed. They grow in Alaska. And they start to bloom from the bottom. And they bloom up. And the blooms in the bottom die. And th- then the ones, they go up, 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 up to the top. And you can actually tell the season by looking at the fireweed. Frank, you, you, you've been out of Alaska too long. <laughs> Carol, Carol, you're right. That's, that's about midsummer. That's what I would say. Any of you others? You can disagree with me. I'll forgive you. <laughs> How can we disagree with you? Good, good point. Good point. Once it gets up, then it's... There you go. There you go. And this, this here, the one, on, the, one on the, the one on the left, that would be springtime. That would be you got a whole three months of summer left. But you better start chopping your fire away. <laughs> because 
when, when you see that one on the right there, if you don't have your six cords of firewood cut, split, and dried, you're not going to be ready for winter. So, so the fireweed was a harbinger of the times. And Jesus gave us, well, Paul, Jesus gave us one in this in Matthew 10, 24. At that time, many will turn away from the faith. That would be a harbinger of the return of Christ. At that time, many will turn away from the faith. This is a sad one. Uh, And they'll not only turn away from the faith, they'll betray and hate each other. Boy, we're headed for that one fast. I'm sorry? We're headed for that one fast. Look what they're doing to Christians. Look at the division they're doing. Mm-hmm. Look at the hate they are, are generating between groups and, you know, between, you know, uh, different ethnicities and stuff like that. They, they're causing hate. Master? The, this, a couple of things, though, uh, Brother Doug, this one and the one that Paul mentions in Second Thessalonians, where he talks about the great apostasy. Yeah. This is not the world. This is actually inside the church. The, the, these are these are people who believe or say they believe, who are of the faith and yet right. turn away from that. So the other things are still covered in the Olivet Discourse when the Lord talks about the persecution mm-hmm. and the tribulation that comes, but when he's speaking about the great apostasy, that is actually an event that takes place in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is, is it not happening? Yes. Is it happening? Yeah, but well, what I'm saying is it, the groups that are out there, yeah. the things we see in the media, that that really is not that, this part yeah, is. I understand what you're saying. It's in the faith. Yes. In other words, within the faith, church, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. and it's happening now. I mean, groups are hate, you know, churches are hating other churches. Uh, religions, you know, you, you name it. Well, it's the things in the world that are bleeding into the church. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And the church has been, and like Doug, the church is being influenced by these outside yeah. yes. um, influences. It, the media, the, the government, the politics, the... Uh, I think the media is the biggest biggest influencer that there is. What are they trying to do to Christians? Separate us. Mm-hmm. They're, trying, they're, they're working so hard to separate us. Let's, let's take a look at this. And, uh, well, one of the, I think probably the biggest reason why Cindy and I chose Yellowstone is because we heard, we weren't here, but we heard that during COVID you did not close your doors. We did not. We did not. The church we were attending in uh, Texas shut down. And if you wanted to go to church, you had to turn the TV on. And when they finally did open up, they took out every row of pews so they could, uh, what they call that, social distance. And uh, <laughs> I hate to say this, it was called a cowboy church. And if you think anybody had the tenacity to stand up and pick yourself up by the bootstraps, it'd be the cowboys, but they closed the doors. And uh, I was so disappointed. And I think we saw some of this. They turned, turned away from the faith. Have you heard any data or, or anything about how many people did not return to church after COVID? I've heard it's, I've heard it's upwards of 70%. 70% wow. that did not return. 
after COVID. Now, that would be, I think, considered, and I don't think it's the great apostasy, but it's definitely an apostasy. And many false prophets, whoops, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. That's been going on for centuries. So as far as that being a harbinger, yeah, we've got that, couple that with these others. Uh, Because of the increase of wickedness, I think we could say wickedness is increasing, and the love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. That's a, that's, that last phrase there is a difficult phrase. It's, I don't think what it means is you've got to hold on yourself because you, I, even Daniel could not withstand this on their own. They could not stand firm to the end. I think, may I reword this a little bit? The elect will stand firm to the end. The saved will stand firm to the end. It's, it's sort of a purification of the church, really. So there's going to be this persecution. There's going to be the apostasy. And when it's all said and done, the, the end result will be the purification. Doug, Frank and I bought a whole bunch of wheel weights. And we want to get the dirt and the clips off of them. Do we scrape it with a wire brush and peel the clips off with a pair of pliers? Or? You, you can if you have days to do it. What's the best way? Melt them down and let it float to the surface and take them off. There you go. Heat. Heat. Takes heat. Yep, melt them down. In the case of lead, about 660 degrees? Yep, 650 to 750. Yeah, yeah. And, all the, and what's that stuff that comes to the top? It's called dross. Dross. All the dross will come to the top. I've got a slotted spoon, and I scoop it up and throw it in the garbage. Yep. And I got pure lead. Whatever, whatever is on top is not, not lead. Right. I think that's what's going to happen with this great apostasy and with the with the uh, with the persecutions that are going to take place. It's going to go hand in hand because Jesus talked about all these persecutions prior to coming to this section, and he said at that time many will turn away from the faith. Go ahead, Doug. I think one of the things we need to look at is you're going to see, I think you'll see every one of those signs at different times. Do you see what I'm saying? You'll see the wickedness that's happening now and this and that. I think Jesus is saying is when they converge, when everything, these signs come together, that's when we need to watch the convergence. The conversion of, of all of it. Where the church is persecuted, uh, people turn away from the faith, you know, the wickedness increases all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Now, we're seeing some of it today, we just don't know how much of it we're seeing. Yeah. And then number 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the world in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. And I think we're getting close to that. I, I don't know if there's tribes out there yet that have not heard the gospel. There may be. There are few. There's very few. Yeah. Not as many as there were 50, 75 years ago even. But... Uh, 
And then Paul, this is the one you're referring to, Pastor. Uh, and Paul uses the word apostasia. Is that the Greek word? Apostasia. And let no one deceive you by any means for that day, because the Thessalonians thought they'd missed the rapture. Well, First Thessalonians, Paul talked about the coming of the Lord, and a few in the church thought, we missed it. And I don't know why they thought that, but Paul is clarifying here, and he says, don't, any, don't let anybody deceive you, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. So again, the great apostasy is another harbinger, and I think we're seeing that today. i got to move along here. Uh, come on. There we go. This is the... Anybody heard of Ligonier Ministries? Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, what was his name? R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul. Did he start that, or was he just a part of it? I think, I think he started it. I think he started it. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's passed on, he's with the Lord now, but, uh, but Ligonier Ministries, uh, in conjunction with uh, Lifeway Research, every two years they do this poll to take the, to, to take the temperature of the, uh, of the church, the theological temperature of the United States, more, it's a full of the United States, they, they interview everybody and then they break it down into different uh, uh, evangelical, mainline, Catholic, yada, 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 but I'm going to break this down only into the U.S. population and the evangelical population. And they ask these questions, and, uh, and the people respond. One question, there was 35 questions in this survey. I'm not going to do them all. God learns and adapts to different circumstances. How would you answer that? What? No, he always doesn't have to adapt to nothing. We adapt to him. <laughs> Amen. What's the theological term? Immutability. God never changes. 51% of U.S. adults. Now, that's U.S. That's the general population. Of course, every poll, there's a, what do you call that, a... Uh, plus or minus. Plus or minus error. I don't know what that... They don't tell us... Margin of error. I don't know what the margin of error is on this one. U.S. evangelicals, higher or lower? Should be higher. Disagree. Or no, they, yeah, they agree should be higher? They agree they should be, should be a lot lower. It's not much lower. 48% of those who call themselves evangelical Christians, that's people sitting in churches like ours. Forty-eight percent say that God changes. There is a term called open theism. Okay. Um, and open theism believes that it's similar to this: that God doesn't fully know the future, and if we decide to make a different path for ourselves, then God has to then plan for that new future. Mm-hmm. I, I have heard of that. I don't remember the term open theism, but yeah. So God is just constantly up there playing this chess game. Yeah. And he's adapting to our moves. Yeah. And he's gonna win because he's better at chess he's better at chess than we are. But but right? It sounds remarkably like Molinism. It sounds like the Molinist theory. The what? Molinism? Molinism. 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 Haven't heard of that one. 
Similar, similar concept. The idea is, is God has God has infinite knowledge in one box, and in the other box is the actions of humans. And okay. God doesn't know what's in the second box, and so He has to react to the second box and the first box. That's <laughs> 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 yeah. that's yeah. It's still much be problematic. Everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. Do we, are we sinners because we sin? No, we're, we're, we're born into a sinful world. That makes us a sinner. Okay. We're sinful, therefore we sin. We were born, yeah. Uh, 71% of, of, of the U.S. population agrees with this statement that everyone is born innocent. Evangelicals, 65%. The Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. Well, we know it's false, but 53%. 53% of Americans, of the general population, and I'm not surprised at that one. That doesn't surprise me at all. This one surprises me. That as much as 26%, a quarter of the people who are filling the pews of evangelical churches like ours do not believe the Bible is literally true. God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. <laughs> when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, that, that pretty much there, there, And I think that's the scripture we have right here, yeah? Oh, it is. I, I, <laughs> I did it off the top of my head. Yeah, I know, I know. That, that's the first one that came to my mind, too. Yeah, there it is, yeah. 67% of and that doesn't that doesn't surprise me in fact it surprises me that it's that low this one again 56% oh and by the way the, these numbers were given for, for from 2014 so what's that 6 years 8 years in over 8 years almost all of these in the evangelical side have changed by 10% to the worse they're, they're not getting better, they're getting worse by about 10% over the past eight years. Uh, teacher, Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. Again, I'm surprised that the U.S. adult is that low. I'm surprised that it's that high for evangelicals. Jesus was not God. I think you asked that question in one of our Sunday schools. Can someone be saved who doesn't know this? I think, yeah, but you can't be honestly saved. You might not know this as a fact when you first accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you're soon going to study and find out. And if you reject that, I don't think you were saved in the first no, place. No, you, you, you can't be. Yeah. To reject Jesus is to yeah. reject his deity. You might be led to him before you understand that. Yeah. You might desire him before you understand that. But you have to understand that to truly be saved. 43%. Do you think the great apostasy is possible? Oh, definitely. You, you turn the heat up and the lead is going to float to the top, or the, 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 the dross is going to float to the top. Abortion is a sin. This one surprised me. 
40, only 46%. Now, on, on these two, I need to point out that if you go to uh, the, the disagree, there'd be about 46% that disagree. And then there's always the part in the middle that says, I don't know. So, so it's not 100% on either side. So there's, there's that middle part that I guess you could say we could convince otherwise or we could, you know, that may come around. But you evangelicals, 91%, I'm happy to see that number. I wish it was 100%. But uh, Gender identity is a matter of choice. <laughs> have, you been, have you been watching any of the... It's yeah, going to be okay. about 70% for the general. I'm surprised. Whoa. I'm surprised. Only 42% agree with that. Whoa. So it's then, because It is because the small minorities are very vocal. Mm-hmm. Yes. And they build the numbers up to be much more than what it actually is. Exactly. So this number is actually encouraging because, again, there's about 18% in the middle that say, I don't know. But they could go either way, depending on, depending on how, he, how hot it gets. And this one here, this one really bothers me, 37% of evangelicals. Uh, <clears throat> the Bible's condemnation of homosexuality does not apply today. 46% agree with that of Americans. Again, I'm surprised. It, it, if, I, if I listen to the media, I think it was a lot higher than that. But again, uh, we're being lied to. So that, that, this, in a sense, is encouraging. This is not. 28% of evangelicals think that it's just fine. Pardon? 28% think the Bible is wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. That would probably be part of that percent that believes the Bible is not literally true. Uh, sex outside traditional marriage is a sin. This surprises me again that it's that high on that side. And uh, I'm glad it's that high on the, on the evangelical side. Uh, the Christian Post. Now this one, uh, I don't know who the Christian Post is. I, I tried to do a little research and find out, but... Uh, but they surveyed about a thousand pastors nationwide, and this one is probably even more scary than the first one because we're talking about pastors, and leaders, and not only pastors but senior pastors. Uh, and a third of these senior pastors believe that one can earn a place in heaven by simply being a good person. So Jesus is not necessary, according to uh, a third of these. And then of evangelical pastors, 39% said there's no absolute moral truth. Each individual must determine their own truth. So is it any wonder that the churches are the way they are? Now these are evangelical pastors again too. What is an evangelical? Pastor, tell us what an evangelical is. An evangelical would be somebody who should subscribe to the basic fundamentals of the faith. So the deity of Christ, the infallibility of scripture, the virgin birth, the, the, the core, like the Apostles' Creed, if a person is familiar with the Apostles' mm-hmm. Creed, they would subscribe to every part of that. I almost included the Apostles' Creed in this. It, you familiar with the Apostles' Creed? I should have put it in here. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it... it the, the, the Word of God, the infallibility of the Word of God, the deity of Christ, uh, original sin, uh, 
what? Virgin birth. Virgin birth. Yeah, the Trinity. These are evangelicals, and yet this is what we come up with. Four out of ten. Four out of ten. Almost half. We're getting close to half. And it's getting worse. Uh, Roughly the same percentage didn't answer an affirmative when they asked, is human life sacred? Therefore, if human life is not sacred, abortion is just getting rid of some tissue. And 37% said, having faith in general is more important than in what? Or specifically, in whom you have faith. So you need to have faith. My aunt, uh, <clears throat> well, she's not my aunt. We called her aunt, Auntie because she was my mom's cousin and my mom you know, wanted us to respect her and not call her by her first name. So she was our aunt or aunt, whatever. And she was an alcoholic and she was diehard alcoholic anonymous. And she used to tell me the story about a guy in their group who got drunk, locked him, or he went into a, uh, to an abandoned building and went to sleep in one of the rooms. When he woke up, the doorknob came off in his hand. And he was locked in there for over a week. And when he finally got out, he'd done a lot of praying and soul searching while he was in there. And to this day, well, he's probably dead now, but <clears throat> till the day he died, he carried that doorknob in his pocket. That was his highest power, or his higher power. AA tells you you need to have a higher power. They don't care what that higher power is. And his was a doorknob. I'm not endorsing AA by any means. Let me me get that straight, okay? Because you're trading one addiction for another. It's a better addiction, but it's still an addiction. You're not free. And Christ said what? The truth shall set you free. And uh, you want freedom, you go to Christ. You want to trade addictions, go to AA. And you could be addicted to a doorknob. But... Anyway, uh, so faith, it's in whom you have faith, not just having faith. Now, about prophecy. Uh, Knowing first that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of a man, but by holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And as we're going to study Daniel, we're going to see, and I'm going to give you some of Daniel's uh, words about his own prophecies here. Uh, the prophet didn't always understand his own prophecy. That wasn't, that wasn't the point for him to understand it. And what's interesting is, do you remember in the first part of Daniel? Who interprets the dreams? Well, it's God, but he's interpreting them through Daniel. When Daniel has the visions, who interprets them? He has to go to an angel, Right? So Daniel did not know the answer to Nebuchadnezzar's. It was, came from God. Daniel didn't even know the answer to his own prophecies. He had to ask the angel. And, and in this chapter 7 that we're not going to get into today, Daniel was grieved in my spirit within my body and the visions of my head troubled me. Doesn't that sound like Nebuchadnezzar when he had his vision? He woke up and he, and he was troubled. And Daniel said, he's having the same experience. And he's going, well, I can relate to old Neb now. Because same thing. And this is the end of the matter. Daniel, 
was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. He was still deeply troubled. That's the end of the chapter. So the end of the chapter comes with Daniel not even fully understanding what he had just experienced. And the caution I want to give to us is claiming that we know what this means. There's times when we'll speculate a little bit, but I don't want to get out there and say, this is the way it is. We might say, this is a possibility. This, this might mean, but don't take that to the bank. Look for the other harbingers that Christ has given us, especially within the church. If we look outside the church for these harbingers, they're all over. And they've been there. Satan has been trying to take over the world since Cain. When God didn't accept Cain's sacrifice, Cain was downcast. And God went to him and says, what's the matter? He says, sin is crouching at your door waiting to have you. You can, you can come above this. So what does Cain do? He goes out and kills his brother. And then we know what happened, right? The whole world went evil and God had to destroy it. Then we had, uh, what's his name, the Tower of Babel? Nimrod. Nimrod trying to take over the world, set up one world religion. Nebuchadnezzar tried to set up one world religion. Uh, every, every regime who's tried to be a tyrant, who they persecuted, who they feared most? Christians. So don't look outside the world. These harbingers are there, but conjunction them and, and, and watch within the church. Watch for this great apostasy. Watch for the world to be evangelized. Because Daniel's going to give us a lot of external evidences here. And one of them, that, that even Jesus, uh, and we're going to see this in chapter 9, and I, I didn't point this out earlier, but Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolations spoken of by the prophet Daniel, then these things will come. The vision of the evenings and mornings that has been given to you is true. This is the angel speaking, but seal up the vision for it concerns a distant future. You're not going to understand it, Daniel. Just seal it up. Daniel was exhausted and lay ill for several days. Then I got up, went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. And then in chapter 12, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting contempt. Every one of us is eternal. And every one of us, I believe, is going to get a perfect body at the end, an indestructible body. Some of us are going to take that indestructible body and go to heaven. Others are going to take that perfect, indestructible body and take it to hell, all dressed up and no place to go. It's going to be your brand new suit and you cannot shed yourself of it. You wish you could. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn away, who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words, seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Go ahead, Doug. Is, is this God's, you know, when a, when a parent's talking to a child... <laughs> Because I say so. <laughs> well, <laughs> and, and that's 
but, but, but he, gave, he gave Daniel all these prophecies for a reason. And notice, they're sealed up for the end. And that's why it's important for us to understand them and to know them. Because I think the end is near. I don't think there's anybody today, any Christians alive today, who are watching, who do not believe that we are getting close. Uh, I think very close. Uh, but watch for the right things. Don't, don't, don't. Don't watch the world. The world is deceiving. Satan's been trying to take over forever. And he's been foiled many times over. We're going to see that in this chapter that there's going to be a there's going to be a being an entity that is going to try to rule the world. Yes, yes, that is one of the one of the things to watch for. And it's and isn't that what Bel, or uh, Nebuchadnezzar had tried to do? Isn't that what Nimrod tried to do? Many have tried and failed. And what I'm saying is, many are trying today. Go ahead. Nobody's mentioned the most glaring harbinger yet. Okay. Okay. Ooh, that's right. And that's been glaring at us since 1948. Yes. That, and and that, that one is such a puzzle, yeah. Well, the recent activity in Israel uh, is, uh, and the past activity concerning the nation of Israel is uh, it just glaring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that 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 is a that's an entire discussion, and I, I agree with you. We and uh, we've talked about this before. Uh, God's uh, promised Abraham, "I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you." And uh, and we've seen the United States uh, when we've had an administration that was friendly to Israel, we've been prosperous. We've had administrations that are enemies of Israel, we suffer. And uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, Israel is a difficult one. It, it's there. It's hard. And uh, what I don't understand, and we're running out of time here, is the temple. Uh, uh, Jesus said the abomination that causes desolation. I believe that's sitting there right now. That dome of the rock, that is causing desolation. Is that the one? I don't think so, but it's definitely there. And it's it's... It's going to have to be removed, and there, there's, there's big ramifications if that one gets removed. The whole Middle East is going to erupt. Can you say Abraham Accords? The Abraham Accords. There'll be three and a half years of peace between Israel and uh, the Arabs. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's an interesting data point. Yeah, it is. I mean, this is all stuff I never seen in my lifetime, but have people been saying just for years that this must be, <laughs> we must be getting close, and this must be the times, I mean, the disciples and whatnot, yeah. I just feel like, well, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I agree, I agree. The disciples thought Christ would return in their lifetime. I mean, uh, like for Hitler, I know 
just, he could have been the Antichrist or whatever, and it must have been like the last couple of years, but. Well, many, many Christians believe Hitler was the Antichrist. Right. And, uh, I mean, and, I'm not saying that this stuff we're seeing absolutely isn't. And, and that's, one of, that's one of the cautions that I have is uh, being too certain because that could cause a great apostasy too. If you think that this is the Antichrist and it turns out he's not, it could turn you away. A friend of mine's mother almost left the church when, when she discovered Hitler was not the Antichrist and it wasn't the end of the world. She, she was crushed because she thought this was it. And, uh, and uh, well... Thankfully, we're out of time, and I can't get into some more controversial stuff. It's a good reminder for us just to live every day knowing that, uh, live every day like if Jesus was going to return that day. Yeah. I think that's the most important thing we need to be worried about, focus on, because we can easily go from one spectrum to the other and get mm-hmm. <laughs> caught up and all that, but... Yeah, I hate to hate to just shut this down like this, and especially with uh, just just Israel coming up in the conversation because it's a it's a touchy point. Uh, Pastor, when you get into Revelation, you can clarify that for us. <laughs> and pass the baton on. That was smooth. Yeah, <laughs> it was smooth. Yeah, it was a cop out. Okay, let's uh, leave it at that. Thank you, Lord. You've given us some certainties, and one of them is that you will never leave us nor forsake us. You, uh, you were with Daniel in the lion's den, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael in the fiery furnace, and I know you'll be with us too, Lord. Uh, help us to stand firm. Help us to put our faith in you and uh, not in crazy ideas. Uh, Dismiss us now in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.